Oh, we love you, Buck. What, this, this show would be like half as long without Buck Martinez, so I can't complain. <laughs> bothers me that it's like oh baseball's so dirty really a hundred percent of football players juice 100 percent downright insane well i'm kind of like downright insane but i i don't and welcome to episode 10 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we can only score by keeping the ball in the yard. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by my two good friends, Mr. Chris Sherwin. Hello, Chris. Gentlemen. And just for a change, Mr. Joss Housem. How's it going, Change, Josh? exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we don't believe in change around here, uh, not even in our pockets. We had a... Match it with a tagline, Artificial Turf Wars, <laughs> where, we, where we fear change. <laughs> We had an exciting week that actually didn't look at some points like it was going to turn out very well for the Jays, but they have a decent record. Um, we have a little change at second base. We've taken more looks at Drew Storen. Um, we said goodbye to a a player and hello to another pitcher because we love pitchers. Uh, then we're going to talk about Brett Cecil's interview after getting booed. We have an interview with Jonah Carey, which is excellent and exciting etc etc we have listener questions we have a gold star and then we have i hope final thoughts that's that's everything in a nutshell first things first what was the jays record on the week is it is it four and two it's four and two my goodness it did not feel <laughs> like four like it felt like about three and eight at some points during the week and i know that's not possible in one week <laughs> well I, I mean in the tampa bay series against the starting pitchers in a three-game series, they got five hits, but and they okay. won the series. Yeah, that's a drop. <laughs> and then the first three games against the Rangers, against the starting pitchers, they got three <laughs> runs in three games, and they're up two games to one. <laughs> Can't complain about that, can we? Uh, what a strange, Hi. strange hitting, not hitting team. I mean, yeah. I mean, on a previous podcast, we talked about. You know, it's like it'd be nice if they had a game that was decided early. Yeah, we haven't gotten that yet. Uh, also, if the Jays allow more than three runs, they lose. <laughs> Even in the slugfest, because they have had like the 8-7 game, I think, against Boston that they lost. And they had uh, like a 7-6 game that they lost. It doesn't matter. As, as long as that fourth run crosses the plate, the Jays have lost. That doesn't make any sense at all. Obviously, it's only a month, but weirdness. Uh, does does Chris have a weird thing that stands out in his mind when he's looking at these scores? No, uh, no. I mean, you guys, you guys nailed it. But I, I'm I'm with Josh. We need a laugher soon. We, Weren't we you the guy these... that was talking about how exciting this was? <laughs> yes, but I still need a laugher. It is very exciting. Listen, the endings are exciting, but the beginnings of every single game make me want to just tear every last hair from my body because it's, it's torture at this point. So the difference in your philosophical position and Josh and my philosophical position is, I believe, 14 days. <laughs> That's... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Chris just had higher tolerance than we did. <laughs> uh, I think that the first little shakeup that we're going to talk about here... Uh, well, okay, well, we'll talk about the two walk-offs. Because Justin Smoke's walk-off was pretty awesome, and I don't want to discount that or, or gloss over that. He he launches a home run in the ninth to tie it, and then because nobody else can do anything, he decides he will also launch a home run in the tenth to finish it. Both opposite field shots, right? Yeah, his win probability added in that game was like 79%. So pretty much literally, Justin Smoke he, beat the Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, also, uh, how many home runs did he have coming into the game? Uh, zero. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he upped uh, his home run output by infinity times two percent. Oh, and uh, and the you know the guy who really locked it down in the bullpen was everyone who we were expecting to lock it down, Joe Biagini. Hey, he's looked really good. He has. It's just not the name that jumps to mind when you think, ah, oh, the game's on the line. It's going to be tight. Let's go get. Be a genie, sure. He's only really looked bad 
not not look bad. He's only had bad results when he's been put in nearly impossible situations. Yeah, when I saw him in spring, I didn't really get a sense of that movement he has on his fastball. But that two-seamer he throws really darts down and in at like 95 miles an hour. Couple that with a curveball. This guy could actually be a legitimate bullpen weapon. Which is probably why he hasn't been sent back anywhere yet. Because he hasn't shown any yeah, reason this, to send him back. At this point, unless he just takes a complete 180 and just starts to suck, I think he's going to be here all year. Which is pretty cool for him. Um, I still haven't listened to his audio after the, the game because apparently his interview is really weird and sort of funny. But he yeah, he's a weird dude. Described as weird more than funny. Um, I'm kind of afraid to listen to it. Fair just, enough. <laughs> just a little scared that I'll like him less afterwards. And then tonight's walk-off what looked a little more in the bag when they brought in their, I'm assuming, what is their seventh arm in their bullpen? Or in their, yeah. Because he could not find the strike zone with a map. Um, he walked. We got two Lewinsky managed, what, two pitches? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well... We'll, we'll not go with that right now. <laughs> we don't want to. We don't want to assassinate the man's no, character. I had, to, I had to squeeze that in there. <laughs> it was funny watching Barnett pitch because I'm, I'm, I was looking at his wine. I was like, man, this guy throws like he's Japanese. And then, well, he spent six years pitching in Japan. Oh, oh, explains that. <laughs> he was terrible. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, who did he walk first? Uh, Encarnacion. Yes. So he walks Encarnacion, who gets pinch run for with Carrera. No, no, Encarnacion got a hit, actually. Oh, yeah, a, a single, but he he threw balls all over the place. So who did he no, walk? No, I believe Pilar I believe Pilar was his first walk. No, he walked no, Smoke and smoke. Pilar. Oh, Smoke first, that's right. Smoke likes walks, so, you know, you can give him that. But I'm, I'm looking on game day at these pitches, and it's like, wow. You don't even have to think about it. He almost hit the guy in the foot. Well, Pilar almost swung at the one that hit that almost hit him in the head. <laughs> exactly. He wanted to. He wanted to. <laughs> he was he was a quarter, three quarters of the way around. It's like, ah, oh, I'm falling. I really want to take a cut of this. I'm surprised he didn't actually end up fouling that off with where the bat was up near his head. I'm like, well, you are so lucky that didn't end up being off the knob or off the right off the handle. Oh, uh, yeah. Pilar is incredible, man. Yeah, he's I don't Encarnacion always looks insulted when they walk him. Like, no, I want to hit a pitch. Pilar looks he did like also, after two lazy fly balls on pitches right down the middle, hit a bomb in his third at bat. So I could see why he was a little upset. He's always upset. He looks like, I want another pitch. Pilar looks scared. Like, they're going to walk me. <laughs> Don't walk me. <laughs> like, it's okay. <laughs> Nobody's going to yell at you if they wa if you walk. It's fine. You can still steal yeah. a base if you walk. There's no rule that you have to stay on first. Just oh. before we get away from the games themselves to what you were going to talk about, mm. I just want to quickly mention, like, the reason they've, the Jays have had the chance for all these walk-ups is that the starting pitching has been absolutely amazing still. Yeah. They haven't even, had a bad start since we did the last podcast. Even Ari Dickey managed one run in six. Yeah, he was awesome. And, he, and Sanchez today, I, I said this on Twitter, he didn't have his best outing, but it was his most impressive one to me because he was terrible in the first two innings. Gave up six hits and then just figured it out and dominated. And that's something he hasn't really shown the ability to do yet. In his one start where he was bad early, he was bad for the whole time. I think he retired at one point. Was it nine in a row? Yes, yeah, I believe it was. Yeah. Eight or nine. Yeah. But he and just made an adjustment, and instead of letting the game snowball like it did against Oakland, he shut the Rangers down and let the team get back into it. Well, I think and, after all the debating all offseason, a lot of people are just waiting for that, you know, one or two innings to be like, oh, yeah, see, this is it was all just a show, but he's proving that this is because I, I totally agree with Josh here that this has clearly been his most impressive start because he's proving that he belongs in that rotation. And even pitched into the seventh inning. Got into that jam. Should have been pulled in the seventh. Gibby left him out there. And he made us all look foolish. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he did give up two really well-hit balls to the track. He did, yes. But... Yes. Pilar kind of bailed him out. <laughs> However, he did get out of the inning, which he probably shouldn't have been pitching in. So, yeah. of, of the five starters, who do you think has walked the most? I just took the trouble to look it up. Estrada. No. Dickey. Then Estrada. <laughs> and then Oh, Estrada's shortest start. That's why. Uh, no, that's uh, K per nine. Or walk, walks per nine. Not, um, oh. Yeah. So the, the, Sanchez is literally in the middle of the pack. It, everyone was afraid he was going to start walking people. He's not fantastic, but he's certainly not the problem if you're talking about walks. 
which is kind of interesting. It's that's not what's burned him um, when he has gotten burned. It's been contact. Um, yep. But he strikes out more than Estrada too. That's funky. Okay, Barney Goins, Goins, Barney. <laughs> are, are we just shuffling deck chairs here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is the kind of move that always made a little bit of sense. Last year, for a couple of weeks, Ryan Goins showed some ability to hit left-handers, but he's bad against righties, and he's been always really, really bad against lefties. Darren Barney's just bad. <laughs> but at least you have the platoon advantage. And unlike past seasons where you had, I don't even know who the backup second baseman were, Steve Tolleson. Mm-hmm. This time there's actually there's no defensive downgrade when you sit Ryan Goins. So I think this move probably should have been made at the start of the season. Yeah, I remember when the backup second baseman was Mark DeRosa. So, yes, this is certainly not the Oof. defensive downgrade. That... <laughs> well, I mean, and something... well, DeRosa raked. He had cleanup. <laughs> Doesn't mean something he was a great second baseman. Something had to be done. Like, clearly something had to be done with Goins. I mean, he's batting 160. He has a weighted runs created of, I think, 13. I, I can pull uh, I, believe, I, actually... I, I believe his on-base percentage yeah. is dipped under 200. Like, so, something had to be done. And, that, I mean, in, in lieu of Devin Travis's availability, this is the obvious move. We have a question yeah. about that, I think, about Devin Travis. And the answer to that question is getting clearer and clearer as time goes on, I think. Um, yeah, two people actually asked that question. Yeah. I like easy yeah, questions. Yeah, Goins is down to 155, 193, 226. Oof. Oh, but the glove. <laughs> he, only, he, he actually caused a little scare, which actually will segue nice into our next topic. When Storm came into pitch... With the glove. The first batter hits a ground ball and Goins went the wrong way and then he missed the ball. I did not miss I did I missed that. So uh maybe I I shouldn't have seen that. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from that. So Drew Storen is still being used. Uh yes. is is he throwing any harder? Is the question. A little bit? I mean he hit <laughs> nine he was ninety three, ninety four today, which is Ooh. better. Yeah. It's not what he was. He's topping at 93-94, but at least he was throwing more pitches there, not sitting 90-91 and the occasional 93. And his results? His last two outings against Texas, he's looked really good. In in today's game, he gave up that hit, which, again, wasn't really any fault of his. It was just a ground ball through the right side that Goins probably should have made a play on. And then he got two strikeouts with really nasty pitches. He threw a 94-mile-an-hour comeback fastball to Prince Fielder that froze him. And he threw, a, I think it was a backdoor uh, slider, a changeup to uh, to Moreland that he was just waving at. So he looked good. He gets more credit for the Moreland strikeout than the uh, Fielder K. Because Fielder's been all over the place this year. And in this series, he's chased some really bad pitches. Yeah, he does not look good. I don't know why the Rangers are continuing to bat him fourth because he just hasn't hit it all year. Luckily, that's not our problem. Our problem nope. is the other guys who bat fourth for us. But yeah, <clears throat> anyway. Uh, da, 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 the call up, the call up and the and the send down. Matt Dominguez, who hit, I use that term loosely. <laughs> What yeah, you guys it? didn't get much of a chance to really get to learn about him from the last podcast, did you? No, there was there was a lot <laughs> happening there. Uh, his weighted runs created actually broke the system and is a negative number um, in all of eight plate appearances over three I games. didn't realize he got eight. He got eight. He he did not apparently reach base for. Oh no, he he walked once. My bad. <laughs> oh yeah, that's kind of. Uh, I understand getting rid of Matt Dominguez. Um, we replaced him with Chad Girodo, a pitcher. Why? Yeah, it's a weird move. They they did it, I assume, just because they wanted another lefty to face the heart of the Rangers lineup. You've got Odor, Mazzara, Fielder, Moreland. That's a bunch of left-handed bats. And, you know, you might want a second guy to come in. Why didn't they send down Ryan Tepera? Well, he handles lefties well, apparently. Uh-huh. <laughs> and by the way, you you just misnamed that man. Yeah, I know. I know. I can't call him not Pat Venditti right now because Pat <laughs> Venditti wasn't really earning his position either. 
Yeah, when I was looking at that that walks per nine number, I Pat Venditti stands out a little bit. A little bit, nine point eight two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's bad. the number. Seven three six ERA. It's uh, yeah, few numbers stick out. <laughs> so now Ryan Tapera is not Chad Gerardo. Right. They should have <laughs> sent down not Chad Gerardo in when they brought up Chad Gerardo. Yeah. Fair. We actually had a, qu- a question about this and. Normally we save the questions for the end of the show, but yeah, it just we're talking about this now. This came from James G at James and To. It's like I'm hoping the Jays don't go with an eight-man pen, especially in San Francisco. Who gets the call up? Do you think? We now I, I assume we're all in agreement that we don't expect this to last bef- while they go into the National League when they need pinch hitters and such, right? Right, right. So who do you guys think gets the call? I hope it's Burns. Uh... Andy Burns. I actually think it almost has to be now. Because they can't bring Dominguez back. And a guy like Burns who can play first, second, third, left, right. Pretty valuable in the NL. Yep. I'm wondering if that's why Dominguez was the call last week. Was because they were getting close to going to the National League and didn't want to get into a situation where they had to send Burns down and and then couldn't bring him back up? I can't really imagine a situation where they would need to send him down, though. And it actually made more sense then, too, because you had Saunders who was ailing, so you could put him in left field. So, like, a lefty's pitching, instead of sitting him for the lefty Carrera, you could have put Burns in. You're using logic and reason. I was just trying to make excuses. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Do you, Chris, want to read us some quotes from Brett Cecil? who was a bit sad about getting booed out of or off the mound the other night. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. He was, he was asked about the boos that he very clearly heard. And he said, Jesus, for almost 10 years of my life, I've put everything I've had into this organization. Yeah. He had more quotes about it too. It's like, it doesn't affect me. I'm not going to say it doesn't bother me, but it doesn't affect me. I don't want anyone to get booed, but I'm not the only one who's struggling right now either. So it's, he, it's, it's clearly bothering him. Well, no, players are robots. Impossible. <laughs> Impossible. MLB The Show 16. This is, uh, this is what we're doing here. <laughs> yeah, we, we got these quotes from TSN and Scott MacArthur, but it's interesting. I can understand why certain fans are booing him. Because he really has not lived up to expectations in their parts of the season. I don't agree with it because he's still been the best relief pitcher on this team for the last three years. But really, I mean, can can you truly get angry at fans for booing a guy beyond thinking they're idiots? Yeah, this this is what confuses me is the is the outcry against the people that boo. I, I, I see it. I see it all over Twitter where, where people will bash the people that, that, that boo so bad. Like it, it's like, it's like borderline hate speech. <laughs> like people just like, they hate it so much. Uh, like I can't, I, I mean, I don't do it. I've never been a person to boo or whatever. I just kind of shake my head. But at the same time, I mean, like how else do people express themselves? I just, I, I don't really see, I, I think it's a little silly. Sure. But, I just don't have this passion against people booing. I really don't. Do you boo Greg. the opposing team? I, I don't. I don't boo at all. But I just. I just okay. like I said. I don't. I don't have an issue with it. Well, I think there. I think there's. There's of course different groups of people who express themselves differently. I. I only boo what I believe is a dirty play. Like for me, that's what that disapproval means to actually hear the boo for what it's worth right because does it really matter whether you boot or not no um but the disapproval for me is is the a-rod distracting somebody or someone going in spikes up on a slide and trying to hurt somebody to me that's the only thing that's deserving of a boo if you beat me by hitting a walk-off home run i'm not gonna boo you um and if you just suck well you know you suck you don't need to hear me going boo <laughs> it's well, pretty that's obvious sort of the real issue here right it, i don't really have a way to judge people for booing technically they can do they want i think it's stupid i think we all think it's stupid to boo cecil 
But the real issue is like it doesn't accomplish anything. Theoretically, all it can do is make it worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As, yeah, I can see that. As Cecil said, he notices it, right? You know, he says it doesn't affect him, which is great. But I'm sure there are players who it can affect. Start to press, start to get upset. I I would not be shocked if there was an issue with Aaron Sebio with that because he was really conscious of the fans. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't serve the team that you're trying to cheer for in the long run to boo one of its members. It does never not. Gonna, you can't boo him straight. <laughs> I booed him till he was good. <laughs> like no, <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah, like no, said, it's dumb. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, so we hope that Brett Cecil doesn't do anything that gets him any more booze. He hasn't looked as uh, wild, maybe, last couple times out. But he's still obviously got to get something under control. And we'll we'll see shortly, because I'm sure Gibbons is going to keep on using him whenever he can. Just yeah, the, ho- the and, hook and might be a little quicker. But he's also... I think we both expect or I should say you both agree with me on this, that we expect him to rebound because he is just too good a pitcher not to. Yeah. They, they are good weapons. He just needs to deploy them. Yeah. All right. On that note of agreement, I think we will move on to Mr. Jonah Carey, who has changed jobs, which we'll discuss once we uh, talk to him. Um, but you will hear that from his mouth directly in just a couple of minutes. today to be joined by Jonah Carey, Sportsnet commentator, author, and host of the Jonah Carey podcast. How are you doing, Jonah? I'm good, fellas. How are you? Uh, we're recording this on a, a Monday morning, so I don't know how good we are yet. We have yet to develop. <laughs> a, a well, we're picture. coming off a, a series one of the trops, so we're better now than we have been at other recording times recently. So since uh, we last talked to you, uh, we've had the privilege of changing the name and location of our podcast. Uh, you did much more than that you've changed a whole lot because i think the last time we talked to you you were at grantland so grantland folded and your life continued what's what's been going for you since then my life continued as, as if no it's the fatal blow okay. <laughs> damn it um yeah it's um it was interesting just to tell the story of that day a little bit and i've told it a couple of other venues but for your audience um it was on a Friday. It was uh, uh, October 30th. And uh, there are a couple reasons that that stands out. Number one is my contract was due to expire on October 31st. Oh. And uh, ESPN and I had gone back and forth, but there wasn't really any strong indication that I was going to re-up regardless. So I w- had been looking for a job for a while. I'd been uh, taking some interviews beforehand. I'd been preparing for it or whatever. Um, so professionally, it wasn't necessarily this devastating thing. I figured, okay, I don't even know if I'm coming back. I love Grandland, but at that point I knew that something was going to happen to Grandland and the, the, the blow here, I mean, obviously losing Simmons was really tough, but the big blow was in a big blow. The the finishing blow, I guess, was in in (laughs) October when four of our, uh, finest editors and, and really great people went over to work with bill we just didn't have the manpower and the way that a website like that works is um you know there's zach and barnwell and katie baker and louisa thomas and stephen hyden and ram and everybody else um but it comes down to if you don't have really good editors you're done and they'd left so i knew that uh something was gonna happen anyway and yet when it happened i was still frustrated upset sad and all that stuff because it was the end of the way the website was going to happen. Like I would have even been, if I left and the website continued, that would have still made me feel good. Cause like, Oh, we built something and you know, I had to move on because of various reasons, but you know, at least this is still going. Uh, but it just was kind of that, that decisive, okay, now it's over. That really got to me. And it was, uh, my kids were in kindergarten at the time. Kindergarten. Yeah. I think that's right. No, beginning of first grade kindergarten. I don't know. Kindergarten. Uh, Young school. Yeah. So uh, kindergarten and they had um, a pageant kind of thing, like a a Halloween pageant. And so they're all dressed up and whatever. So I get this thing and then I have to leave 10 seconds later. So I have my computer open. I go to this pageant. There's all these cute little kids lined up in the schoolyard or whatever. I put my phone away. uh, And for the next couple hours, I'm just, you know, being a a dad and it's the middle of the day, whatever. And I come back and there were 
I think it's 3,150 oh. unread mentions on my Twitter. 3,150. I have a, you know, a decent number of followers. That is, there's no scenario in which that's a thing. And uh, regardless, and it was it was amazing. And I read them all, and I tried to say thank you to all of them. <laughs> As best, no, not one person said a negative thing out of 3,150. And uh, it was wonderful. It was really, what I thought was going to be really a bad day turned into one of my favorite days ever to be honest with you not because it was like hey jonah you're so great but because it was people paying tribute to the website and just tagging everybody you know i was tagged next to amos barshad and and mallory rubin and network and and, and everybody else and it was just it, it made me feel good to have been part of the team it made me feel proud and all that so in the end what was supposed to be a miserable day was really nice and for that it was it was just really thanks to people thanks to people reading and listening and watching and all that stuff that's what made me feel great about it that's pretty cool. So yeah. you said you'd been looking for a job already, uh, that you were, you know, maybe looking for an out because of your contract situation. What was the, the first thing that came to mind as, or the, the first opportunity that came up for you after that? I had, I went to New York in September and I did 12 interviews in two days. And, uh, which this is, is not, this is not something I think I've ever talked about, but I, I had looked at a lot of places. I, I, talked to political websites. I talked to uh, business publications. I really, there was a point in time last year when I was a little bit fed up with baseball. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if part, all, all of it was because of Grandland, some of it, none of it, I guess some of it probably, but it wasn't, I like baseball, but it was just my, it's like, it's a lot. The season is never ending, you know, basketball, <laughs> football, it kind of ends a little quicker. Baseball is just like hot stove, spring training, this, it's just, it's always, it's, there's never, baseball never stops. And, um, and uh, I had only been a full-time baseball writer for four years. Before that, I used to write about a million different things, including the stock market and a whole bunch of other stuff. And although my lifelong ambition was to be a sports columnist of some kind, I wasn't sure that, you know, having gotten it, it was a great job. I'm not being a, a diva about it, but I just wasn't sure that that's exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I actually thought about a book, de a book idea, which had nothing to do with any sport, let alone baseball. Uh, which I'm not going to get into here, but it was it was a cool idea, and I actually started reporting on it. I'd done about a dozen interviews and then put it down, uh, but I interviewed a bunch of different places, and and the big thing that I came away with was I want whatever I end up doing, I don't think I want one job. First of all, the job market's really tough, and and even though I think I've established at least a little bit of a niche in this industry. I didn't know how many publications were going to give me the exact job that I wanted with benefits and the right salary and the right conditions and all that, because all corporations hate headcount now. They don't want it. They'll happily pay you money, uh, you know, if you've got skills and experience. But if they can, you know, not pay you healthcare and, and just kind of get away from from it being exclusive, then that would be great for them. And was totally great for me because I was like, oh, go do a bunch of stuff. And so, as we went along, uh, the book really seemed like that was going to be a big thing. And then I was going to kind of do a bunch of other things. I talked to. Uh, GQ and Rolling Stone, for example, and both of them said, yeah, come write stuff for us. And I did. I wrote a thing for GQ, which came out right after the new year. It was about something totally different. It was about a guy who just one year, he, like on New Year's resolution, he just said, I'm just going to give money away all the time. I said, wow, what a cool story. I'm going to write about that. So I wrote about that. For Rolling Stone, I wrote a piece about bridge, like the card game, bridge. Why? It's <laughs> interesting and different. I just said, yeah, all right. And I just wanted to do really, really different stuff. And then uh, SI came along and offered me a really good offer um, just to write my Monday column. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I'd write, I'd, I've been an SI subscriber since I was eight, and I always wanted to write for SI. I'd done a couple stuff, a couple things for SI.com, but this was like I could be in the magazine. And, and I loved all the people there. You know, the old generation had kind of turned over. The people who ran the place are roughly my age. And kind of the other editors uh, there are like drinking buddies and friends and so forth. They said, oh, this is great. All right. And then CBS came to me, and CBS made just like a magnificent offer. I wasn't, I was good by then. I was like, okay, maybe I'll still do this book, blah blah blah. And uh, John Heyman left CBS, and they had an opening, and they said, first of all, here's a, like a good amount of money, and they said, we're going to give you a lot of flexibility. So go ahead and write about baseball, but if you want to write about basketball, you can. I haven't actually written about basketball, but it's available if I theoretically. I could do one now. I could get off this conversation and do one. Uh, write about pop culture if you want. Uh, we're going to do a lot of video with you, which I was interested in video, and uh, and go for that. So it got to the point where that became too many jobs for me to try to write a book, uh, too many responsibilities. I didn't want to short shrift anybody, but I did like the setup because I didn't have to answer to one master. I could do all kinds of different things, uh, and it would be pretty cool. So I signed a bunch of one-year contracts. Everything is a one-year deal. 
And then we'll see what happens at the end of this year. You know, if I, maybe I like them all and I go back and do them all and maybe I just say, all right, we'll see. So, you know, after this baseball season, I'll be looking again. And, and I kind of did that on purpose uh, to kind of give myself flexibility. The, the old LeBron one year out after every year, I might do that until the day that I die, honestly, because I like that, uh, that flexibility. Well, that sounds like a pretty, actually pretty nice plan. Yeah. <laughs> able well, to do what you feel like doing. Assuming I sell the juice for people to hire me, so far so good, but you never know. I mean, you could ch people could change their opinion quickly, and I'm one devastatingly stupid column away from being uh, irrelevant. So who knows? We're working for – oh, no, I won't slander. I, uh, I don't think you're in curse-killing um, territory, really. Oh, all right. He went there. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we, we had uh, Jamie Campbell on here recently, and he mentioned that they were – at the time, talking to you about joining yet another network and working for Sportsnet. How, how quickly did that come about? I talked to them. I was at the winter meetings in December. The winter meetings were trippy, man, because that was when everything was happening. I'd, I'd uh, hired an agent a few months back. And at, while I'm at the winter meetings reporting on stuff, um, I, I guess I could say this now. I mean, ESPN no longer employs me. I was flat out taking a lot of phone calls. Like in the middle of the hallway, I would run out. There'd be some press conference. I'd be like, oh, and it'd be like, so-and-so wants to talk to you. There were other jobs I didn't even end up getting that I thought were a real possibility, which I'm not going to mention. Uh, but they were very, very significant places that would have been really cool. But just either I wasn't into it or they weren't into it or we just couldn't come to terms, whatever. But uh, one of the conversations that I had down there was with Sportsnet because everybody was there. I saw Jamie, who I knew a little bit, Hazel May. Uh, I knew a little bit. Uh, Wilner, certainly. Wilner and I are friends. And it was, so it was more the on-air talent. I didn't really know the producers. And I just kind of chatted with them, you know, sat on their little makeshift stage and said, hey, what's going on? They said, oh, we're going to advocate for you. We're going to talk to our bosses and we're going to try to get you in. <laughs> I was like, cool, great, okay. Uh, so then eventually, you know, there's a little back and forth. Didn't know if it would be radio. Obviously, Fan Find 90 has a big presence, too, and I used to do stuff for them. But then there's the TSN thing. Now I'm doing both TSN and, and 590, which is awesome uh and because uh, i try to be friends with everybody and um yeah it, it just came down to us trying to work out what it would be so we kind of went back and forth with them for a while too and then the thought was okay we're going to use you uh, some radio but we're definitely gonna get you on tv I've, I've known tim and sid for years i'll do some of that and then let's see if we can work into baseball central so the first one that i did was in person i went there for the home opener which of course is trippy is and awesome as you know uh, if you go to Toronto on uh, the home opener, lots of uh, fun-filled festivities. So I was kind of, you know, in the office, so to speak, for like six hours that day doing pregame, 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 Tim and Sid. And then I was on set with Jamie right before first pitch talking about Marcus Stroman and some very basic analytics stuff. And uh, we've since gone forward and done a couple of remotes. And um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be this analytics segment. Uh, they, feel, they felt that that was something that was lacking from their – Broadcast. I think they do a good job of their broadcast. By the way, uh, pregame. I think Jamie's outstanding. Jamie's one of the best in the biz. Um, you know, I, I think of the way they produce their sh the shows, the broadcasts are all good, but they just didn't quite have this. So, um, yeah, they apparently tried to get it last year and it didn't work out. Yeah, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Um, I, I actually, I think Jamie and Hazel might have mentioned something about something. But anyway, so yeah, so I the hope is to do this pretty regularly, whether it's every week or pretty close to every week. Just a few minute segment, pop it on the show, remotes, and then you know if I can get back in person a few times, that'd be great. But it's it's a very fluid. Like we have a very, we have some kind of a loose contract, but it's just like let's see how it goes, which is fine. You know they have a budget, and uh, they have other considerations. They have, you know Baseball Central is a, not a long show. They got to get in other stuff, Zahn and Campbell and, and other guests and so forth. And I get that, uh, but any way that I can contribute, I can. And I will just tell you. Um, the remote certainly all the producers have been awesome but when i was there in person like so great everybody from son to jamie to hazel like hugs like this is great awesome we're so glad you're here it's gonna be cool it's like both personally and professionally it's a really neat relationship it's a minor one like i'm not remotely on staff i don't want to portray something that i'm not i'm just pitching in wherever they can use me and i'm really happy to do it i think it's good that you're there because the broadcast has always been tilted heavily to the ex-player talking about baseball from his perspective. Um, mm. So you've got that more analytics perspective. And I think the, the pregame especially needs a little bit more balance that way or needed it. Um, which brings me to the ever evolving game of baseball, which I think is really cool because every year we find out that something is, is a little, there's a little more information, a little more knowledge on something. So I'm going to throw out a bunch of things that I've heard a lot about this year. Uh, well, a little bit last year, but a lot more this year. And you tell me what you think is 
important or interesting uh exit velocity uh spin rate and more and more about infield shifts and whether they're good bad or hurting the yankees <laughs> let's start with uh spin rate i wrote a piece for cbs last week that talked about that but more broadly just about new ways of measuring pitching the deal with spin rate is we don't actually have leaderboards like you can't go anywhere and just say oh kershaw's number one R.A. Dickey's number 10 million. Like, we can't look at that. There's nowhere. StatCast has some stats, but they don't really put it up. Brooks Baseball sort of has it, but you have to kind of dig through. You can't really get in one place. You have to, you know, I'm able to put in special requests to friends of mine and say, hey, give me this stuff. And they give it to me, but you can't get it publicly, really. And I'm very skeptical of things that you can't get publicly uh, because I can't uh, give things to readers and say, hey, here's a bunch of stuff. They'll be like, well, I can't see it. I'm not going to take your word for it. Um, so my attitude about that is I think it's interesting and useful. And I talked to, I actually wrote about all about Marco Estrada was what the story was focused on. So Google Jonah Carey, Marco Estrada, CBS. It's a, it's a pretty cool piece. I was pretty happy with it. And, um, you know, talks about Estrada and basically two things. Number one is he changed his arm angle. If you go look at how he was a few years ago, he threw from a, almost a three quarters delivery. I don't yeah, think straight over the top now, straight over the top. And I, you guys will know this. I think a lot of your listeners will know this, but I'm not sure that the mainstream Toronto audience was necessarily hip to it. Maybe it'd been written about here or there, but you know, I, I showed screen grabs of it, like very specific stuff. And the end result is you end up, there's two kinds of spin. It's complicated to explain, but basically when you're very straight up, you have the possibility to put more, let's call it fastball spin for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. And you can, throw something that resembles what you would call what looks like a rising fastball. And the guy who does that better than anybody in baseball based on vertical movement is Marco Estrada. And so I got into all that, um, you know, as much as I can vis-a-vis spin rate, but also just kind of talking about in general and, uh, was fun. It was interesting. So I was happy with that. Uh, infield shifts. I don't know. I mean, Girardi, he's a manager, you know, he's not uh, a sad head. Uh, I understand that aesthetically people might not be happy with it or whatever. I would add that it's nothing new. Ted Williams was shifted on frequently. Ted Williams has been dead for quite a long time. Um, (laughs) So, you know, shifts are are like anything else. I don't understand the need to ban anything, really. I'm not a a banner. I tend to be, both in my real life and in my baseball life, I tend to be pretty laissez-faire, I guess. Um, And and this would be another example. So whatever, Uh, not too worried about that. I think teams should shift when it's appropriate. I like the way the Pirates do it, where it's not always an overshift. It could be like this outfielder standing here and this infielder standing where you wouldn't expect. Uh, they're very sophisticated in how they do things. It's not just kind of overload on David Ortiz, which I like. I think that the more robust your uh, data can be, the better you're off you're going to do. And uh, what was the other thing? Exit Three things. Velocity. Eh. Meh. Um, <laughs> you found one. I... It gets talked up more than it's valuable. I, I'm interested. I like to know new things. I like to look at it. Someone's got to come. And this is supposed to be my job, by the way. My job has always been my job, even more so when I wrote about the stock market than sports. My job is to take complicated concepts and translate them into English. I have a degree in journalism, not math, not physics, not anything. I'm not that smart. I'm just barely smart enough to be dangerous. And, and it's basically that's smart enough to fulfill my job, which is to translate stuff. Nobody has really come along to give me the tools to enable me to translate why exit velocity is important. I get the idea that hard, you know, hitting the ball hard, I totally understand that. But like, how much does it correlate? Like, there are batting averages for if you hit it 100 miles per hour or more, then there's this. But like, what's the base rate for hitting it 100 miles an hour or more or whatever? We, we, we're not quite there. Like, we've got some data, uh, but we're not quite there. And I just think that there's this like very quick fixation on this thing. Uh, I'm okay with the fixation on shifts because they work. I don't know about this exit velocity thing. And I also don't know that it tells me anything new. Like, who hits the ball harder than anybody else? As far as I can tell, it seems to be Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, Shocker. Duh. duh. <laughs> like, what, what a shocker that Giancarlo Stanton hits the ball. If you would tell me that Cesar Hernandez or Ryan Goins belts the ball, that would be really interesting to me. Stuff that confirms what we already know and we don't quite have all the data or whatever – and I'm not saying you fudge the data to make Ryan Goins into John Carl Stanton. I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm not blown away by it. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. We, you Just going back to the spin rate thing for a second, which I think ties in a lot of times on this broadcast, which is why actually it was very nice to have you speak about it. They mention spin rate, spin rate, spin rate, but they don't mention the things that go with it, like release angle and spin angle. Yeah, which, which is what without, I do. Right. If without, without the, the spin rate, Without the spin angle, the spin rate is meaningless. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering yeah. if when mm-hmm. we get to these 
exit velocities and start really combining them with launch angles and how people can change their swings if that's the next step. I don't know, but it seems like that could be where it's heading. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I think that in this, you know, it could be the kind of thing where you have to combine different kinds of reporting to do that. Like, mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to Estrada, but it was his pitch day, so I couldn't. Um, but he had talked to uh, David Laurel of Fangraphs, and, and and that story was it was wasn't a long uh, spot on that because it was all about a lot of Estrada things. But he did talk about it. he talked about the idea of raising arm angle and so forth. And yeah, certainly the case. You know, you look at Chris Sale as an example. I used him as kind of a counterexample to Estrada. He essentially slings the ball. You know, he's just all arms and legs. He's very tall and skinny, and he really does throw from that three quarter angle. So he creates this crazy, crazy side spin. He doesn't like he's nowhere near Estrada on rising fastball spin but that's because it's physical it's just it's impossible he can't do that based on the way that he throws the ball so um yeah i do agree with you i think that there should be some correlation uh, some proven some shown correlation to, to the way a guy throws uh, because i think it informs a lot of what we do i think what's going on with Statcast is interesting but not terribly useful and, and the other thing that i it's find yeah, truly. And and I they're really protecting it it seems like as a as a commodity as opposed to something that or as a proprietary thing. And it's kind of like I don't care that he ran 19.2 miles per hour top speed. Tells me nothing. I don't right. care that his root efficiency was 94%. Is it good? Is it bad? Does everybody run at 94%? I don't know. Right. So, I it's almost 2 years into Statcast and we are still looking for context for some of these numbers other than something that looks nice as a graphic. Do you find that disappointing from your perspective, or do you think it'll just take time? It depends on who's doing the reporting. You know, I, I think that there's a certain level of skill, a discerning eye that needs to be there to be able to convey why we should care about stuff and why we shouldn't. Um, yeah, we're not where we need to be with the data, but, you know, Nobody's forcing anybody to write about some of these data anyway. Like I don't the foot. I've never written about the foot speed thing because who? Wow, Billy Hamilton is fast. Come on, really? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I like the. I do think that it's cool to have new ways to appreciate players. Like that's true. Other than looking at Billy Hamilton, there is some, you know, base entertainment value to being able to see it. But I'm not. I, that doesn't move it the needle enough for me to be like now. I'm going to write three thousand words about it. Maybe other people will. Uh, this, and I think this is purely a matter of opinion, but I tend to be with you guys where um, there has to be kind of the so what factor has to be more resonant than it is now, I guess. Yeah, that seems to make a lot of sense. Um, last thing, and I don't know if you can cover this quickly, but we had two steroid suspensions this week. I saw you wrote an article on the problem with um, not steroids so much, but um, the quick dismissal of it or complaint about it by by justin verlander and certain other players um do you think the cba is going to change broadly in regard to steroids or do you think things are going to remain status quo i sure hope they don't change broadly because i think that there's going to be you're never going to dissuade people from cheating entirely number one number two people are already cheating less than they used to um way less uh, and number three, it reaches a point at which it's just stupidity. Like, what are we going to, okay. So do they go throw them in jail? Like the first time they get busted for steroids, 30 games is enough. 50 games is enough. 80 games is enough. Full season enough. Lifetime ban. Like, we'll just, why don't we execute people? I, I, there's a certain point at which just like relax a little bit. I understand the incentive versus disincentive thing, but you're never going to stamp out cheating entirely. You're chasing the dragon. It's totally ridiculous. And moreover, the thing that I get into and got into in the story that I wrote last week for CBS was. It becomes a union versus management thing. Management doesn't truly care about steroids. They just want to put butts in the seats and win World Series or whatever. I think there are a lot of fans that don't really care about steroids, to be honest with you. They're just like, all right, you know, it's a good ball player. Uh, you're, 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 you know, indifferent, maybe a little ambivalent, but you don't really care that way, that much one way or the other. But if you start witch hunting and witch hunting, what this does is it damages the reputation of the game more than if you just leave it the hell alone. The NBA and the NHL are doing fine, and there are guys juicing up to their eyeballs, and nobody's talking about it, and that actually works to their advantage. I really don't want to see baseball be portrayed. It bothers me that it's like, oh, baseball's so dirty. Really, 100% of football players juice. 100%. 100% of football players. Todd Sauerbrunn, who was a punter, got suspended for so <laughs> come on now so and the base why do we have to keep talking about this nonsense like i'm just i have battle fatigue from this thing and i think that if we keep fixating on the punishments not severe enough 
let the occasional suspensions happen. It's too bad for Colabella. It's too bad for Gordon. There are other guys cheating, not as many as there used to be, and just move on with it. And moreover, it really pissed me off that Justin Verlander was such a, a dumbass that he had to mouth off about it. Keep quiet, dude, because if you start in on this should happen or really I don't understand these writers who are like, we should void contracts, all you're doing is giving management a cudgel. And I really don't want to go back to a situation like 19 – can I swear? Sure. Yeah. 19... 94, where we get into a situation where it becomes so adversarial that we have 21 years of labor peace. I can tell you all about 1994. Uh, it still bothers me, as you can imagine. And, fan. Yeah, and you know what? I'm just a baseball fan, too. And, like, w- just just leave this. Just leave it be. If you have a problem, Justin Verlander or whatever, you take it up with your local union rep. If Marvin Miller were alive today, Justin Verlander would be, like, actually murdered. He would be dead. <laughs> all right. Marvin was a tough dude. On that sure. exclamation point, yeah. I will leave the whole conversation. Oh, I think God. you've said it all. Um, where can we f- – we obviously find you at CBS, SI, Watch Free on Sportsnet. You have the Jonah Carey podcast, which is excellent, um, and uh, folks should subscribe. Uh, on Twitter, you are? Uh, at Jonah Carey, J-O-N-A-H-K-E-R-I. And, no spaces, uh, no underscores, nothing. Yeah, it's mostly really bad dad jokes, so uh, yeah, gear up. We, we have an audience that, that really likes that, I think, because they follow me Sweet. still. So we're all good. And yeah, they listen to us. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot, Jonah. Thanks, fellas. We'll catch you later. And we are back. I always like when I, I fire somebody up with the, the last question of an interview. <laughs> <laughs> Just get them going. Oh, well, you definitely got him fired up. Well, I, I, you know I'm a big Top Gear fan. Always at the end of Top Gear, Jeremy Clarkson will say something, and he'll go, and on that bombshell, we have to end. And I'm like, I totally want to do that, and probably not enough people are Top Gear fans in that interview. Uh, little inside baseball for our listeners. I was like, oh, let's not ask this question. We're running out of time. <laughs> Greg asked it anyway, and then Jonah gave us gold. Oh, man. Good stuff. More good stuff. We have lots of listener questions this week. Thank you, everybody, for waking up and finding the Twitter button and sending something to TurfPod. At TurfPod. Uh, first question I will I will ask to... Uh, we'll go with Chris. Um, from at they named me Jay. Jay. Too late for this week's podcast. With This is from last week. With the Gordon and Colabello suspensions, do you think MLB has improved their testing methods? You, you took... Some biology thing, didn't you, Chris? Kinesiology, something like that. There you go. That's why you're qualified <laughs> Slightly to answer different, this question. But yes, no, no, <laughs> same, totally the same. Uh, <laughs> yeah. First of all, Jay, love your Twitter handle. Um, do I think that the testing methods have improved? I, I, personally, I think that they've just gotten more frequent, and players have gotten a little lazy uh, because. The drugs that they're being caught for are incredibly obvious drugs. Uh, it's it's like it's like like taking the most basic steroid. There's actually like, something how, that came out you... today on this though. Okay. You might not have seen it. This came from T.J. Quinn on Outside the Lines on Free SPN. They actually have updated the testing on this. So it used to be with this drug, it was out of your system in a week. And now they've made it so that you have a much larger window where they can catch the metabolites or something like that, even a month or later. That, that's after. the one that, yeah, that's the one that Colabella was caught for. But I think yes. I think Gord, I think Gordon took a very basic like testosterone. Yeah, he got yeah he took a couple of things. It's just it seems and and um, I'm going back to um, uh, I, his name escapes me. Jay's almost Santana, Urban Santana. He, he took Winstrol, which is I, I mean it's just a it's a basic oral steroid that's been around forever. So, I, I mean, it, it's it's little ones like this that I notice that are just really easy to catch. But, yeah, the Colabella one, yeah, that's that's a little different. And apparently there's going to be more of them coming. No big names. That's what we've been told. No, yeah, he said no big names, but that there are a few more suspensions that are going to be handed down in the coming days. Weird. So uh, it could be, really, that just they've, they've gotten better at catching these things. But- I mean, methods methods do get better as well because, you know— Athletes always have um, like cover-ups, right? To to basically like block 
what they've what they've taken and then the the tests say oh, okay so they're taking this to You're cover up the, the drug age. so then yeah exactly so so now then they'll they'll change the 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 drug tests to catch that so so they they may never find out what you originally took but you took the masking agent for it so you're caught the manny ramirez method or what he got caught for he got caught for high an estrogen supplement which is one of the things you take after taking the testosterone on and on you go yeah post-psychotherapy anyway moving on yeah ask (laughs) something else so this is from noel moxon at the mox ball has asked a few questions in the past the more i listen to buck martinez the more i wonder if he is drinking as the game progresses okay <laughs> anyone which, else find this to which i say you be the judge pitching coaches they have wish lists they have wish lists that list that they want to accomplish and have their pitchers that is an unedited piece of audio from the end of last season mm. i don't know you have to ask the question you have to ask the question <laughs> so I'm going to go with I don't know but that seems like a fair question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we love you Buck. What this this show would be like half as long without Buck Martinez. So I can't complain. <laughs> um, so we'll move on to the next question. Um Brian Oh, I, oh well, no. One go second. Ahead. I sorry. I just remembered this one thing. This came from James G again. He says, I love Shulman, but I kind of wish Buck could jump in on the play-by-play for the really dramatic moments just so we can get his drunken excitement. <laughs> <laughs> so James agrees. It's a bit of a theme. Um, so from Brian A., who asked the, uh, at Brian B. SR, who asked the somewhat convoluted over-under question for last week, he was not discouraged. So good on you, Brian. I like that. He came back with a bunch of questions this week. And the first one we have is, who stays when Travis comes back? Goins, Barney, or both? Um, Josh. Well, how many relievers do we have? Yeah, yeah. 1,100. <laughs> yeah. Derek at Torpan13 also asked this question. Yes, virtually the same wording. So this is a hot topic. Yeah. What, and what do you think, I, I think the answer is has to be that the guy who goes down or gets waived, I guess in the case, it'll be Barney. Just because um, the, if Barney is... Not the guy. If they, if they if they get rid of Goins and they're both right-handed hitters, and then the backup will never play. I think in Goins' case, if they is a really tough right and they want to give uh, Travis a day off, they can go to to Goins, who has at least shown that he can hit a little better in spurts, which Barney has never really done. That's kind of sad because Darwin has he's really endeared himself. He's 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 so cute. <laughs> yeah, I think that they could probably keep him though because he's making over a million bucks. I don't think someone would pick him up if he gets waived. The, the completely bass awkward strategy of paying a guy to, more than he's worth so that you can keep him when you bounce him around <laughs> and disrespect him. <laughs> uh, he can refuse an assignment to the minors, though, right? He's been around ages. So if he... He can, happens- yes, but I don't think he would. Because if, uh, if he bows out, he loses his money. Oh, it's a non-guaranteed million bucks? I think if he just chooses free agency, then he loses the salary. Hmm. Uh, I bet you we should probably have an expert on to pick out these sorts of things. Uh, but we think, is that what you think? Do you agree, Chris? You... I absolutely agree. All right. Well, I'm not going to argue with you, too. You seem pretty firm. Pretty <laughs> Greg, you have to take the next one. I do? Why don't you read it to him? Uh, no, he has to read the Twitter, the, the handle. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Greg Love. <laughs> at Greg Love, 1983. Uh, I was not born in 1983, so your Twitter handle needs to be fixed. Um, (laughs) The question is, with recent popularity in short-term opt-out clauses, i.e. the, uh, let's see, Ioannis Cespedes, I guess, would be the biggest one. Um, Do you see... Oh, I think it's probably Hayward, because he got two of them. All right. Do you see annual opt-out clauses for premium players in the near future? Chris? Uh, Chris. Okay, instead, how about Josh? Josh, what do you think about opt-outs for premium players? (laughs) Well, he has to see annual opt-out clauses for premium players. If that means, as in opt-outs every year in a contract, then no, definitely not. No team will ever do that. If it means, will we see opt-outs being given every year to premium players? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's going to happen. I think it already is happening. The big bargaining chip? Yeah, well, I mean, does Scherzer have one? Price has one. Did Scherzer Price get has one, one in his super long million-year No, contract? he doesn't have one. 
Casimir has one. Cespedes has one. Hayward has two. Uh, they're just becoming very common. So, your trend to watch. All right, fair enough. And <laughs> someone asked the final question. Yes, this is from Senzel. Does Bautista's contract negotiation approach now look just foolish or downright insane? They didn't even put it as a Twitter poll, which seemed like a really funny Twitter poll to me. But they were asking us, oh, Greg. Oh, true. They wanted our view. Which is obviously inherently one level above the view of the, the general public. <laughs> or below. Maybe they want the lowest common denominator. <laughs> we, we're not sure which. Um, so which adjective do you prefer, Chris? Foolish or insane? Sorry, downright insane. Downright insane? Well, I kind of like downright insane, but I, I don't, I still don't think that he did anything wrong. I, it's, it's just, you know, it's Batista. It's the way he's, uh, he, way he approaches everything. So I, I mean, he's gonna hit free agency. I, I, I think we all knew that his initial reaction was gonna ask for something astronomical. I mean, they kind of always do. We still don't know if anything he anything that was reported is accurate. Um, so I, I don't think it was either. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I mean, I, whether it's accurate or not, I mean, he feels he's worth what he's worth. And if he doesn't hit to the numbers that he thinks that he deserves, 6, 150, 9, 3,000, it doesn't really matter, then he'll adjust down his demands to something closer to what the rest of the market will pay him. Yeah. Which it, seemed like it was always the way it was going to go, right? I, I don't have a problem with the quote-unquote demand or the number or whatever else, but the, I don't know, the conceit of, and I don't need to adjust that number, that's the number I'm worth, was kind of weird. Like, like this year's performance means nothing. I am worth that number. I will continue to produce at this level forever and ever. Amen. Was kind of the implied argument and i found that weird i mean yes. i didn't get it that way i thought it's like right now this is what i'm worth and i'm not changing it because we have nothing new and we took it two different two very different ways yes apparently we did <laughs> all right uh that will that is all of our questions did we get them all it is out? all right we've got a couple that were came in but we'll save those for next week but we are always appreciative of said questions uh sent to at turf pod or using the, tash, the hashtag turf pod or artificial turf wars at baseballperspectives.com. However you like to do. We are going to hand out a gold star quickly here because Sportsnet, we're, we're actually going to give the gold star to Sportsnet Broadcast. <laughs> hey, I must be yeah, misreading Technically, that. give them two because they got Jonah as well, right? Yeah. Uh, they, Pat Tabler went on vacation, which is every right to do. And I hope he's that's having gold a, star worthy on its own. Yeah, I hope he's having a great time. But that, that's what I meant. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they did not replace him in the booth for this series. They left Buck Martinez and Dan Shulman like Laurel and Hardy together in the booth, just like the good old days. So you get Shulman's booming baritone on play by play. And he gets the count and things like that right. And you get Buck and his offbeat humor slash analysis in a dose that isn't constant. And he doesn't have to keep track of things like the score or the player on the bases. Uh, and when Buck says this pitch is going to come, it's going to be a fastball inside. And the guy throws a slider. Shulman laughs at him for it. And then they make a joke about it, opposed <laughs> to just ignoring it. <laughs> But I bet you, I bet you there is one person on this three-man podcast, like a three-man booth, that does not share the opinion of the other two. <laughs> well done, <laughs> Chris, Josh. Well, this is kind of leaking into my final thought, but it's not that I disagree about the color man comments. It, it, it's not that. Like, it, it, it definitely takes away a lot of his stupidity. Like, it, it takes, takes it out of his hands basically like you guys said like uh you know like he gets he gets laughed at instead of silence so you replace one silly thing with another with just slightly less silly thing i i i, I get what you're saying but i can't ignore just the stupid things that he is saying night after night it, it just and it seems to get worse each season and there is one particular thing 
I'll just say my final thought now. There's one We're particular thing that's bugging me. Yeah, it's it's been bothering me a lot, and it's the the attitude towards the shifting that <laughs> that Buck Martinez takes, because he reminds me of that old dude in the corner of Tim Hortons barking under his breath at the sight of everybody on their phone. This is what this. this is what I hear every single time I hear Buck Martinez talk about in tonight's game. Tonight being Wednesday, uh, walk off with Martin. Um, Edwin got uh, the base hit up the middle in the in the ninth inning, and Buck jumps right in and says, "Again, that shift allows Edwin to get a base hit." Like he says, it was such disappointment <laughs> like and it's like it's he like George well, Girardi are friends apparently <laughs> it's like this is this is the Blue Jays player that did this first of all like this is a good this is a good thing but he goes out of his way to point out every single time a shift backfires and he sits off to the side and says absolutely nothing when it works which is far more often than it fails and it's just it just seems to get worse and worse and worse and even showman can't drown this out for me anymore do you just want me to play the wish list tainted do you just want me to play the wish list got tainted again? but you knew how i felt <laughs> you knew you just want play this it. pitching coaches they it. have wish lists they have wish lists that list that they want to <laughs> accomplish and have their pitchers pitching coach how could you not want that all the time really I think we should just make that the open to the show. <laughs> For the song. Just pitch coaches, they have wish lists. Wish lists. <laughs> it's true. You can't deny it. They have those things with the things. Um, so you get half a gold star or two thirds of a gold star, I guess. Uh, Sportsnet. Congratulations. You can hang that on your wall. Last guy we're looking at is not a Blue Jay at all, but we figured it was worth mentioning because um, he almost once got traded for... Alex uh, Rios. Alex Rios. Tim Lincecum is putting on a show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> He's, showcase. Sh- well, showcase. Do you have to buy tickets? Like, if you're a team, do you have to, like, pay a little bit to see the showcase? That's how they get his. That's how he gets his salary for the season. You know, he's hurt. <laughs> Just add everything up. Hey, you make a hundred thousand dollars. Um, Lincecum is going to be Lincecum is going to be out in California because he's kind of a California guy, and he's going to be throwing baseballs, presumably, <laughs> to somebody else. And then teams are going to decide whether he's throwing baseballs in an appropriate manner. Like I always think these things are really overblown. Well, in his case, it makes sense because he was injured. And it's just to see, is his stuff back? It's not about, can he get hitters out? Is he going to have his control the way it sucked in the last couple of years? It's just, is he healthy? And the Jays are going to be there. And I don't know if he's healthy and his stuff is back. He was good out of the pen. Yeah. Jays can use good out of the pen so they don't have to keep having Ryan Tapera in there. Not or, Chad Gerardo. Not Chad Gerardo. I'm just going to, no, I'm going to start calling him not Tin Limsicum. <laughs> Oh my goodness! So much scorn for some <laughs> some poor eighth reliever. Uh, so we did have your final thought already, Mister Sherwin. Uh, do you have a final thought, Mister Housem? I do. Yeah, I actually wrote about this for our site. But an interesting thing happened last week that we didn't touch on, and I meant to, to mention it, but I just forgot. This there's a new thing that's sort of been happening with some of these baseball players with this thing called Fantex, where they are selling off future earnings for money now. Uh, Jonathan Scope, I think, got the most money, $4.9 million for 10% of his future earnings. The reason I think that's interesting, and this actually can apply to the Blue Jays, with, say, guys like Aaron Sanchez, Marcus Stroman, Devin Travis, is that it de-incentivizes players to take those cheap long-term contracts the team-friendly ones that give them some guaranteed security because they can get it elsewhere without sacrificing their freedom. So Mm. I'm kind of curious to see how this evolves as more players do this because they've only been around for a few months and they've already got five players signed up. It's weird. It sounds really weird. It's like you gamble on your future earnings. Yeah, but I mean, for for a lot of guys, it's not a huge gamble. Like Jonathan Scope, he gives up 4.91 million, or he gets 4.9 million, yeah. 
He gets that money for ten percent of his future. Ten percent of his future earnings. This is why I'm not on the broadcast. <laughs> Until he makes forty nine million dollars, he hasn't lost a cent. Fair enough. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So it's like at, at, once you're beyond that point, does it really matter if you're giving up ten percent of your earnings? And the Fantex people are in the black at that point, and they're making cash money so every, everyone's hoping that it's not like anybody's betting against success no cool you want my anyway, final thought kind of neat it is um you want my final thought yes please justin smoke i hope he keeps up the strangest batting line in history justin smoke is in theory a slugging first baseman in a, in a perfect world right yeah yes <laughs> he has what he's supposed to be he has three numbers <laughs> Batting average on balls in play, which we all knew was ridiculously inflated to start the season. We on have base, discussed this in the past, yes. Right. On base percentage and slugging. All of those numbers are over 400 right now. <laughs> Order them correctly from highest to lowest. <laughs> Josh. I think it's BABIP on base slugging. And Chris? Uh, I would put slugging ahead of on base. Why not? Despite two home runs last <laughs> night. Josh is correct. His, his batting average on balls to play is 440. His on base is 426, and his slugging is 417. It's just bizarre. I, What's his batting average now? 271. That's a good season. It is. If you just quit now, <laughs> just, his his weighted runs created plus is 150. He's one and a half times a league average hitter. Just quit. <laughs> Get a hangnail or something. I don't know. Um, honestly, I hope he keeps hitting better than average. He's been really weird and fun to watch. So uh, that's not how the numbers are supposed to look. But if you kind of just smudge over them, they look great. I have one more final thought. All right. I'll allow Last it. week, I promised that this podcast would be super happy fun times. I think this was super happy fun times. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I had my wish <laughs> All right. So that means you have been Joshua Housem and Chris Sherwin, and they can reach you at the Twitter at Joshua Housem and at CW Sherwin. Uh, I have been Greg Wisniewski, of course, at Coolhead2010. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars Episode 10, Super Happy Fun Edition, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't cue up the clip again. I thought he was going to. Yeah, you see, because I heard you pause for a slight second. I was like, he's waiting for Greg to cue that up. Totally was. (laughs) Oh, you you have too much faith in me, gentlemen. (laughs) This is perfect timing. It was perfect. (laughs) 